You're listening to the iFanboy Pick the Week podcast, episode 199, sponsored by InStock Trades, Netflix, and iFanboy listeners like you. to the iFanboy Pick of the Week podcast, episode 199, if you can believe that. Um, <laughs> my name is Ron Richards, and I'm here with Connor Kilpatrick. Hello. And Josh is out on vacation, so we, we went to the bench, and we went to the, the greater podcasting bench, and we tapped uh, Mr. Jason Wood from 11 O'Clock Comics. How's it going, guys? Thanks for having me on. Going very well. Thanks for coming on. I do enjoy the 11 O'Clock Comics, and, and even though we don't have drinks and we're a little shorter, hopefully it's just the comics <laughs> talk will be enough for you. It's true. I just have an intravenous hookup of alcohol into my system, so I don't have to talk about it. Oh, well, you'll fit, yeah, you'll fit right in with us then. <laughs> <laughs> I may have had a drink uh, or two nice. before the show. I'm not, I'm <laughs> not so excited. It's not unknown. So, and um, and I'll, I'll tell you guys, I might be in San Francisco, but it is hot. Um, really, it's, it's cold here in New York. Oh, is it? Yeah, Damn very it. cold. Mm-hmm. Damn it. Anyway, nonetheless, uh, so if you've <laughs> never heard us before, we are from MyFanboy.com, which is a website all about comics, and every week we read a bunch of comics that come out, and one of us picks the best issue that came out and dubs it the pick of the week, goes to our website at iFanboy.com, writes a review of it, and then we come here and discuss that book as well as the other books that came out that week, anything else of interest. But before we get started, quick warning to you that we're going to talk about what happened in the books, so we might, some people consider that spoiling them. So if you haven't read your books, you might want to press pause, come back after you've uh, read your books, or if you don't mind that, just be warned. So this week, Connor has the pick, and Mr. Kilpatrick, take it away. This week was awful for having the pick. It, it really was. was. <laughs> <laughs> I hated it. I was not happy. It was too many good books, and I was pissed off, and I couldn't decide, and I was annoyed, and I had things to do. But eventually, Batman and Robin number three was the pick of the week, which is the third issue in a row that's been the pick of the week, and that hasn't happened since we had two in a row for Scalped, and before that, many, many years ago, I think it's been a while since we've had so many consecutive issues of one book be the pick of the week. How do you know that? Because I've got a brain like a steel <laughs> trap. <laughs> you remember Bear back trap. when no one listened and we used to do Queen and Country and Gotham Central all the time and you hated it? Yes, I do actually remember that. <laughs> that was the time. That was back then when it always was Queen Good and choices, Country. choices, nevertheless. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Batman and Robin is the book from Grant Morrison and Frank Whiteley and it's, it's to me, it's special. When I read this book, it doesn't feel like I'm reading every other superhero book. and I don't know why that is. It's this weird alchemy between Morrison and Quietly. And it's, I think this is the book that people were expecting when Morrison first went to Batman. and this, They didn't get that book, but this is the one they're getting now. And it's an event when this comes out. And I don't know why, what it is between the, these two guys when they work together that whatever comic knowledge between the two of them comes out. But it's a special book, and it's something that when I'm reading it, I don't ever want it to stop. And I don't ever want it to be over. And it, it's these two guys who, you know, they did All-Star Superman together, and they did We Three together. And those two were also special books. And this is another one. It's amazing. There's a whole bunch of new Batman books out, and they all are dealing with the same sort of subject matter, which is Bat- Bruce Wayne is gone, and Dick Grayson's the new Batman, and Damien's the new Robin. But this is the only one that really feels like that's actually happening. Whereas the other books are good, and Red Robin is the only other one, I think. But like Batman, it really doesn't feel like anything new is going on. And Detective is obviously on its own little bubble. But this is the one that actually feels like they're actually dealing with the fact that this is a new Gotham City, a new paradigm, a new world, new characters. And it's really refreshing because... As someone who's been reading Batman comics for at least 25 years, 
that's a world and characters who I've come to know really well and come to become really familiar. And it's rare that that a book set in that world with these people feels so fresh and new. And this totally feels fresh and new. And it totally feels like it's dwarfing every other superhero effort. And I don't know why. I don't know if it's a combination of Morrison's keeping it dark, but also keeping it a touch of lightness and absurdity. And Frank Quietly's really fantastic art. And the fact that everything is really well thought out. This is the only book that Damien really looks like he's a 10-year-old, whereas every other book he looks like he's a, he's a late teenager. And this is the only book where they're drawing Batman to look like he's a different person, whereas you know, when he shows up in Batman, he just looks like Bruce. He looks, like a, he looks no different, whereas here you actually see a different person in the costume. Everything is well thought out. Everything is well planned. I feel like they're really making an effort with this book. I don't want to say that they're not making efforts in other books because that denigrates their work, but... This really feels like they're really sort of thinking about everything that goes on the page that really comes out in the work. And it's it's better than I thought. When I went into this book and bought issue one, I had high hopes and I, it blew me away there. Two was even better and three was just as good. And it's great and it's sad at the same time because next month there's going to be a different ar- artist and it's going to be a different experience. But for right now, these three issues were really something special, I think. So, so did you pick it because of the three issues and it's something special or because of specifically this issue? No, specifically this issue. I thought yeah. it's, it's this, it continues along the same vein as the last two in that the art is spectacular. Quietly does these intricate fight scenes that you don't get in other books. Robin jumping on his fingertips and flipping over and, and the thought and the effort that goes into the art and the way that Grant Morrison really has this whole storyline down. He told this really rich story in three issues and you'd expect it to be over six these days, but it was in three and it really worked. And it came back around and, and tied into the end of R.I.P., which which was the last scene in this book, was the last scene in R.I.P. And it was just really well constructed, and it was just as strong as every other issue. And every other issue has been the best thing I've read in the last few months. Interesting. Because I enjoyed it, but I actually thought this was the weakest of the three issues. How come? Really? Yeah. Listen to, listen to me being the naysayer. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just thought, I mean, I thought, uh, and of the three issues, and don't get me wrong, I think they're, I think they're beautiful. I think I love Quietly's art and Grant Morrison. This is, the, this is the good, you know, the Grant Morrison that's not out there that makes sense. This isn't the filth kind of stuff. I just felt like this as being the last issue of this arc felt really kind of, the ending fit felt really kind of rushed. I didn't really feel the payoff with the face-off against uh, the pig villain, who, by the way, it was, you know, creepy. You know, the shot of him uh, across the room from Robin holding the drills, and he's kind of like askance, kind of in a flamboyant somewhat, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah kind of. <laughs> he begins his creepy dance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, all of a sudden I hear a Goodbye Horses while I'm reading that. <laughs> it, was, it was very David Lynchy in that scene, yeah, I thought. Yeah, it was. But um, <laughs> I just felt as if the last issue was kind of rushed and I, and it didn't really have the great layout any really like amazing layouts that the last two issues had a couple of good pages that were just mind-blowing pages it just felt like okay let's wrap this up and it just felt kind of rushed to me that was me i could be wrong i mean i know what you're saying ron but i think it kind of speaks to the idea of we're so used to these five six issue arcs now that it's almost like our brains are trained to expect a longer story but i was kind of in connor's camp and that I, I thought it was refreshing to see it wrapped up so quickly and succinctly and it also led into the next arc i think very cleanly and it makes sense the way they did it um but i have to say reading this it was kind of melancholy it probably would have been my pick of the week too but i just for me the morrison plus quietly is a far cry better than morrison plus um, don't, say it, case, don't say it! Don't say it! Don't say it! Don't say it! Don't say the name. He, 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 he who shall oh, not no. be named. Um, <laughs> like, it's gonna be next month. Is gonna be a real bitter pill to swallow. Yeah. It's gonna be tough. Um, <laughs> so I mean, but the thing is, is look, you know, he introduced a new rogue who has. Yeah. I, I'm sure we're gonna see more of him. I, I don't know how long Morrison plans on doing this book, but obviously he's left the door wide open for us to learn more about Pig. There's some hanging chads from that. I love the way Robin is portrayed here. You know, you're seeing him get a teeny bit more respect for Dick 
but Dick's just a, just, a, just a, a smidge, which is great. Right, just a smidge. Like when he was like, "Did you actually just save my life?" Yeah. Like he's just you know he's he's fighting and clawing to come to terms with the fact that Dick may in fact be his better, and he could learn something from him, but he's not going to do it ha- you know happily. And and the great thing about Quietly's art for me is that you know as you said, Connor, he draws him like a ten year old, and I think that has such an impact in the scene where he's tied up and then breaks free, and he you know basically cuts to pieces three of the pigs' uh, henchmen, yep. and you, you start to realize just how powerful that scene is. This is a 10-year-old boy. I mean, I have a six-year-old son. My oldest son is six. And it's it's hard to imagine him just a few years from now being such a badass that he could do something like that. But again... You better watch out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it, I'm not actually Rachel Ghoul or my, my dad is. <laughs> but uh, you know what I mean? But but this 10-year-old isn't a normal 10-year-old. He's not only brilliant, but he's he's been raised by the deadliest people on the earth. And, and, and he would be... He it would be almost inhuman the things he'd be willing and able to do and I, I love that so yeah I thought this was a very strong issue and, and I'm just fingers crossed that I'll be pleasantly surprised for for next issue so. I'm going to try not to go into it with too much of a, a negative attitude but it just it was seeping into me reading this but I was trying to really keep it at bay because it's hard not to think about the future when you when you know it's coming but just uh, focusing on this issue in, in general I, I love the way that as Wood said it it set up the next issue but it also it was a very clean like wave like this the, this story ended but it crested up again at the end. And it all tied together. And I loved the silent moment with Alfred arranging the pictures. And you even got a good sense of the family and the, and the dynamics. I mean, you know, you had a scowling Damien to, to the side of Bruce and Dick and Alfred in that picture. And even the, even the, the placement of the pictures really told the characterizations. And it was just everything in here is so intricately done. When you see a superhero book like this, you realize how good every superhero book could be if you had this level of talent or thought into all of those books. And there's all the great superhero books. We're going to talk about some of them. Yeah. And it's not to denigrate them all, but they could all be this good. I do have know? to admit the uh, "is Robin and Batman" line did make me laugh. Yeah. So that's towards the end. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean it's it's, also, re- it's really really okay. good. I'll give you that. Mm-hmm. I also love that you never saw Pig's face. Yeah. And not that it's sure. a mystery; it's just that it, was, it made him more mysterious, which is different than being a mystery. Right. right. You, you mentioned that in your review, and I agree with you. I don't think it's because he's there's any big reveal there. I just think it's because we we want him to be mysterious. Right. And it was a nice touch. It was, there were shadows, something blocking it. And it was always you never got to look at him. You know, it's it's like if you reveal who's behind the mask, it's never as scary as no, not knowing. And I think he's scarier in that sense. But a lot of good books. It was tough. I had three really strong contenders. The second one was Flash Rebirth number four. I know there's a lot of people that don't like this book, but I love it. I didn't know what to expect going into Flash Rebirth because Barry is such an unknown quantity as opposed to Hal, who I knew you know, in the modern sense when Green Lantern Rebirth happened. But I didn't know what to expect. This is unfolding better than I could have expected. And for me, this really gave the, the sense that hasn't happened in a while of the old Mark Wade Jeff Johns Flash, where you had the whole family together, especially yep. at the end when Max Mercury came back. I love tying together Eobed. How the fuck do you say that name? Thawne. Uh, Just say Thawne. Thawne. Reverse <laughs> Flash and Barry, and making Barry the originator of the Speed Force. Because the Speed Force isn't a historical concept. It's a relatively new concept. So here's Jeff Johns making tying it into Barry Allen. And then, of course... If he's the originator of the Speed Force, that means Thawne would have an, a reverse Speed Force. I just loved every – I love every aspect of this book. Well, I mean it's funny because a lot of people were talking about like kind of where where is Rebirth number four because it's, it's been a while since issue three came out. And when this came out, I realized what the delay was because there's a whole lot of words in this book. Mm-hmm. Like this was – it was heavy, this issue. Uh, I yep. think probably the heaviest of them so far, and you know, and I love. I, I mean, I, I, I was 
you know, the Flash, I love the Flash. He's my favorite DC character. I have a big lithograph in my apartment of him. And it was Jeff Johns' run that really cemented it for me. And it, like you said, is that idea of the greater Flash family. And, you know, it was Impulse and Max Mercury and Jay and, and Jesse Quick and all and Wally and all them. And it was great to see all those pieces coming together. And yeah, I, I have no complaints. I mean, I heard some people complaining about this book that it was, that there was too many references, that there's too much history to it and, and all this stuff. But like, I, I don't, I, I don't, don't even, I'm not like Tom Caters and like, knowing my knowledge of the flash but i totally mm-hmm. get everything's going on i get the concept that he's doing and it just looks beautiful so it can't it can't go wrong by me mm. i'm a little torn on this one um i i can't help but juxtapose it as i'm sure many people do against uh, green lantern rebirth yeah. and it's a similar experience for me in that when i read green lantern rebirth i had precious little prior experience with green lantern and going into this, I had precious little experience with the Flash universe. And I just feel as I read it, while I'm enjoying it, I definitely get this feeling that I'm just, it's not hitting me at an emotional level that Barry's back or that these characters are coming back. Because I can't figure it out if it's because I just don't have much of a, of a history with them in the first place or just that it's a little too wordy and the writing is striking me as a little stiff. I, I just, I don't know exactly what it is. Again, I, I don't want to make it seem like I'm not enjoying the book, sure. but it's definitely not something I would have considered, you know, a pick of the week for me. It, it was wordy and the speed force to me, it's just like, okay, now we have the speed force. Now we have the, the anti-speed force. And it just, it just seems a little contrived, but I'm, I'm holding out hope because I do have a lot of faith in John's and I know that, that this is a passion project for him. So I have a sense that when we're done with the series, a lot of the things that are kind of have me scratching my head will, will be buttoned up quite nicely. And if that's the case, then, you know, I, I'm sure I'll look back fondly on this. But well, for right now, I'm sort of mixed on it. Well, it's funny that you say that because when Green Lantern Rebirth came out, what you just said about Flash Rebirth is uh, was mm-hmm. very similar to my feelings about Green Lantern Rebirth. I felt kind of like I, I felt very lukewarm about that series. I wasn't as, yeah, Hal's back. Like, it was just like, all right, can we get on with this? You know, and it really wasn't until having them come back gets shoved out of the way, and then you start telling real stories that it does that it really kicks in. Sure. You know, and, and I just look at the last page of the book with Barry leading the pack and the, the four speedsters behind him, and, like, that's what that's where we're going to get to, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and then the good stuff will come from that. So, I mean, I would say stick with it because it, John's, John, it will pay off. John's knows what he's doing. So. Sure, it's sure. Also, I think if you don't have the history, it's not going to hit you as emotionally as people who've been reading. I mean, I've been reading Flash since junior high school, every you know, until recently when I dropped the book last year. But up until then, it had been like 12, 15 years of reading The Flash. So I have all those stories in my head. So I'd obviously right. have more of an emotional attachment. But, Ron, did you notice how Wally never wore the mask in this yep. issue? Yes, I did, <laughs> which is Very probably smart. <laughs> it's funny because when Flash first came out, everybody was complaining that Barry was all grim and gritty and he was, he yeah. was, he was not the happy-go-lucky guy that they were looking for. And... And when we interviewed Jeff Johns, it was the day this book came out. And then after the interview, we talked to him about it. And we were talking about the reaction to it. And he sort of giggled. And he said it would all make sense. And here's the issue where it makes sense. He's grim and gritty because he's being infected by the anti-speed force. Yeah. So he's, he's got all this planned out. Oh, he, things it, that, it's, it's things scary. Complaining how it, about, it, 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 it unfolds. When the yeah. story ends, if you still have problems with it, then that's fine. But there's these there chapters you've got to get through to the end. And yeah. things that don't make sense in the beginning if, should make sense at the end. If they don't, then that's then his, his fault. He's failed. But you know, things that happen in the beginning are not... You, you have to let them unfold, and that was just his, his point to us when we were talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, he likes that. He likes setting it up so people get annoyed. Oh, right, right. It it's almost becoming a, a – right. It's becoming almost a vintage Jeff Johns uh, mechanism, I think, yep. right? I mean, I, I think that's – it's he, it's sort of his hallmark now, and, he, and he's done it so well so many times over that, that I, I – as I said, that's why I have faith. But Yeah. It, it's, yeah. It's, scary, it's scary that he knows what he's doing, and that grin that when – you, when you talk – if you go to an event or whatever and talk to him, he gets this grin that he knows what's coming – 
and he hears you complaining about it and knows that what you're complaining about he's going to deal with like i i was sure. talking i was talking to him about the kids about Wally's kids and i'm like please tell me that you're just going to kill them or do something with them <laughs> and he just put this grin he's like keep reading he's like don't worry keep reading i'll, I'll it's 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 going to work out and it's just like and he knows what's coming like and it's so i i trust the guy of all people writing comics right now i feel as if he's the one who a has the love of these characters and b has the weird interest in watching us you know writhe while we're reading and wanting things to happen knowing what's going to come from them mm-hmm. so no but it, it was good and i mean but i also like i'm i'm anxious to have this be done because i kind of want to get on with it you, know, well, you also don't want to wait two months between every issue. Three yeah, months exactly, that's issue. true. Yeah. Right. The other book that I really, really love was Fantastic Four 570. Hands down my pick of the week. Yeah. Straight, straight out of the gate. And it's funny because everybody, if you read Twitter and stuff like that, the common theme or comment about this book was, now that's the Fantastic Four. And I got to admit, I share that. Like after, you know, and I've been, I, I kind of, I dance in and out of the Fantastic Four. I'm not a diehard reader. I, you know, I, I have the omnibuses. I have all the old stuff, you know, and I've, you know, I got the Wade uh, Ringo run. And, you know, I checked in on some of the McDuffie stuff, but never really stuck with it. But reading this, the characterizations felt right. There was enough of a balance between the family and the, the fantasy aspect. And it's picking up off that great, mini, that great miniseries that Jonathan Hickman wrote. I just loved it. I thought it was great. Yeah, I mean, I, same here. I wouldn't actually have been my pick of the week, but I thought it was a really strong issue. Uh, I have a long history with Fantastic Four. I've been reading that for 25, 30 years, and basically, and, and I have... Being a back issue collector, I, I pretty much have almost every issue of FF ever. It's just one of my wow. favorite series of all time, and I've stuck through it in thick and thin. You know, it's one of those books that when it's bad, I still read it. When it's good, I, I still you know I read it. So um, this was great. I'm a big John Hickman fan, so I had high hopes for this. But you know, as you said, it really harkens back to the you know the classic runs of FF. And I think when when most people think classic, they they think of you know most recently the John Byrne era. And you know, you got a lot of that in this. I mean, you have the, you have the 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 opening stanza, which sort of introduces what what makes the Fantastic Four different than the other teams. And it really is that they're a family. You know. Yep. And I think the thing that struck me about this most of all is that the one thing about Reed, you know, as he's dealt with the Illuminati and Civil War and Secret Invasion is he's become this very dark, uh, immersive character where he keeps things from Sue. Everything's in his mind. It's very internalized. And while he's he's brilliant and you would think he'd have all these things going on in his head, I, I think he's always been at his best when he's been, you know, that talkative genius, you know, the guy that's sharing his ideas. And he's just, he's just bursting at the seams with his ideas. And we really got that this time. I mean, he was, yep. you know, walking us through every step of his plan and you know it was just as a longtime ff fan you saw so many things that were just geeky i mean you saw the room of 100 ideas you know you saw of course the big reveal at the end with the the council of reeds and, and of which course, was great three, yes yeah. oh, it's amazing <laughs> anytime it was multi- amazing. multiple real multiple universes gets me every time i'm there it's just like i love seeing different interpretations of the characters Including the one reader looks like jeff bridges from iron man yes <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and, and and of course the three leaders of the council all were wearing infinity gauntlets which yeah. is yeah. baffling that there's more than one yeah. what did you guys think of the art because I, I know you're you're both longtime jsa fans and and uh and eaglesham had a great run there and i love him too but um some people seem to be a little taken aback by his choice of of drawing Reed and, and Johnny really muscular. Well, that's um, yeah, it, that's that's the Eaglesham you know shot shot in the arm of steroids mm-hmm. is that everybody's a little more muscular than what they normally are, and which totally was there, but it didn't really get. I like mind. Burley Reed. Yeah, yeah, but call um, me crazy. What what I actually love loved about Eaglesham's art, which I noticed, is that and it's not an aping in the same style that like Godland or or Jersey Gods is doing with Kirby style, but there's a reverence towards the Kirby look with their faces. Yeah, he's got right, that big right. Kirby faces, the big. 
Kirby faces, that which is which is different than what he did on JSA, and that's the thing that I love about it. And you know, and the thing, thing the fact of the matter is, is that you know Reed has always done you know very kind of slim, and and you know that's what, but he's you know be been fighting. He fights people. You know what I mean? Like of course they'd be, be a little muscular. You know what I mean? They'd be in shape. They're superheroes. Yeah. You know, like I think that's okay. Well, definitely. I mean, I think this isn't some people. I think act as this is the first time he's been drawn this way. But you know, the John Buscema run and yep. the, the Buscema totally drew him off. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So I mean, this is really nothing new, but it's been a long time since we've seen him this way. But yeah, uh, yeah two, this would definitely be a five out of five for me. This was a great book. Yeah, yeah I, I really, I, I loved that mini that led up to this, and yeah. and it's mm-hmm. funny because I didn't expect it to, to tie in that strongly. Oh yeah, it's totally building which, off of it, yeah. which made me wonder if people hadn't read the mini would they be confused but i don't know because we all read the mini but no i think i think uh, they did it in a way that that made sense i mean he explained he, all you need to know is that he made this machine and it was too much and he turned it off but now he's turning it back on like that's all you need to know but i, I like just the, like even in the setup of the issue i mean like it starts off with a, with an action sequence and them fighting these kind of you know celestial-esque looking robots and it brings in the wizard which is a great old classic uh, villain but like ultimately, this is kind of like a throwaway conflict just to get some action in it. And then, like honestly, the, the what did it for me was the at home after the day moments where after he put the kids to bed with Ben and uh, Johnny with picking the vacation with the envelopes. that was a great scene, yeah. And then then there's one panel where Reed comes up behind Sue and hugs her, and like you just see the love between them, and you see like and it's like true. yeah, and you get that family sense. And then you know she's going to bed, and he's got his cup of coffee, and he's like, I'm gonna stay up a little bit. And you know what's coming, <laughs> you know, like, you know, like you know. absolutely. You know, and he's and I like he's got a little bit of a, a beard going on. He's got a little. He's like borderline crazy. You know, like I've been working all night. Leave me alone, Reed Richards. You know, so and he's then, got that beard you had. When we were launching the website. Yes, yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. I was kissing my wife uh, about a half hour before this taping, and I was thinking, oh, I'm just like Reed. Yeah, kissing my wife then, so I can <laughs> do something. Uh, only I'm talking about comics instead of creating uh, extra dimensional gateways. Yeah, and then just seeing all the multiple reads in the in the Council of Reads, and then ki- the killer last page with the three Infinity Gauntlet guys are just that. I mean, it's I- I'm so psyched for this run. Hickman totally. is the perfect writer for Fantastic Four. Perfect. Oh, absolutely true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, he's great. You know what? My favorite thing about this book and all Marvel books was. I want to live and work in man country. <laughs> Those ads are awesome. I love the throwback ads. Uh, <laughs> you think I can clip out that thing and send it in? You think it'll still take me in man country? You can try. You can try. I don't so. know. I think not. <laughs> well, train me in the spare time. <laughs> Exciting outdoor work. So Dark Avengers number eight is coming towards the end of the X-Men Dark Avengers kind of crossover with the Utopia storyline. Connor, are you reading this or? No, I dropped this when, when they went off, yeah. when Bendis left, and when they went off to this crossover, I dropped it. Yeah, that was probably a good idea. Um, like, it was hot. <laughs> <laughs> but essentially, the, I've been struggling with this Utopia crossover. I've been, uh, you know, like, I've you know been very clear in that I, I feel like it's kind of forced and contrived and put on, and I didn't believe the Emma Frost swerve and all that stuff, and I was right. You know, it turns out Emma was working undercover the whole time, and, and this is the issue where it all happened. But what kind of sucked is that at the end of this issue, I was like, well, that was pretty good. So, so now I'm back on. The, it's like it's really it's like right. an abusive relationship right now. You are totally <laughs> here. Yeah, it's okay, Ron. We have a shelter for you. <laughs> had a, had a bunch of action, and we're coming close to a resolution. And uh, I kind of I'm kind of excited about where it's going to end up. <laughs> you know, I was listening to your guys' show every week. I I empathize with you as a longtime X fan through thick and thin. <laughs> I always know you know people are kind of waiting for you to bring up the X books. But uh, uh, like you, I've been I've thought of Utopia so far um, before this issue was kind of. Yeah, you know, it was okay. I mean, you know, I love the Avengers, I love the X-Men, but it just it seemed like it was just a, a pretty thin excuse, you know, riots and protests to get these guys in the, in the same book, but I 
thought this issue was actually very strong. Yeah. And it's funny because it's actually a Dark Avengers issue, but I think the revelations in it are much more pertinent to Uncanny. Oh, yeah. Um, if, you're, if you're an X-Men fan and you're not reading this, this they're assuming all X-Men fans are buying Dark Avengers right, to read the right. storyline. You miss If you didn't buy this issue, you missed a huge, a huge, huge plot development. Yeah, and it was great to see that Emma didn't turn heel again because, you know, I, I, I'm sure back when she first joined the X-Men, I was against it and thought, oh, no, she's a villain. But it, she's really, you know, become one of my favorite characters, and she's, she's a very complex character. And, and I'm, I'm thrilled that, she's, that she really was on the side of, uh, you know, with, she stayed on Scott's side from the start. And it was all a big uh, bait and switch. I'm psyched that Cloak and Dagger look like they're finally going to be full-time, at least for now, members of the X-Men. And look, I mean, anytime you, you bring Asteroid M back into the picture, it, yep. it's good times. I mean, that, so. that, that, that's the thing. I mean, ultimately, it ends with with a great, you know, like, the, you know, they, they pull the Emma and Namor kind of turn on Osborn, and they fight back, and they, they take Cloak and Dagger with them, and they go, they, they meet up with Scott and the rest of the X-Men, because they've been, you know, setting up something behind the scenes, and the whole, and that's been the whole thing that's frustrated me, is that I didn't know what was going on. I knew something was going on, but I didn't know what it was, and turns out they're raising Magneto's old Asteroid M from the from the ground and it sounds like they're gonna leave earth you know which is a, a fascinating a little disappointing turn because i would have liked some more years in san francisco as a little little hometown pride but the last two pages of you know all the x-men gathered on the deck of it and, and there's an x flag behind them and scott addresses everybody you know on television telepathically it, you know was just kind of it was kind of like rousing it was like yeah x-men are you know they're they're, they're standing up for themselves and i as an x-fan i really liked it and there's one panel luke ross did the art on this issue i think mm-hmm. um yes. And he can draw Cyclops whenever he wants, as far as I'm concerned, because there's that one panel when it's the second to last page and Emma's got her hand on, on Scott's head and Namor's to the left of him and the flag's behind him and Nightcrawler's bamfing in. And that was just a great panel. And I was like, sure. That's, you know, because Cyclops really, I don't, I don't like the, the skullcap Cy- Cyclops, so I don't like the recent costume, but mm-hmm. um, he totally, he, he made it work. Um, in this issue. It's funny when you bring up Luke Ross because he's really hit hit or miss with me. He was pretty good in Jonah Hex when he was doing it. I, I liked him there. I thought he was a good fit. And then, um, you know, he's been the semi-regular artist on Cap of yeah. late. And while he's not, he's certainly not, not by any stretch a bad artist. I, I don't think he has the the dynamism that you know that that we saw from you know from Epting and Perkins. Oh yeah, um, no, he was but, a, he was a pale comparison when he came on the cap. I was like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. So I was a little cringy when I saw his name on this issue, but no, I thought he I thought he, he did pretty well. I thought it was yeah. he was well paced and, and he really told the story well. And, and the the close up scenes and some of the interactions were were actually there was a lot more expression in his uh, in his faces, which I think is usually where he he falls a little short. So it's good yeah. stuff. Yeah. So I mean, it looks like it's getting to be a good place. So I might have to uh, eat some crow on the story on the story arc. It's okay. <laughs> Stand up for yourself, Ron. Yeah, it's. I'm serious. It's a, no, baby. I love you. No, it's. That's what it is. It's just. It's, it's an abusive relationship. <laughs> well, are you used to this? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so to to continue the Batman love, it's hard not to love every page of Detective Comics A fifty six. Again, J H Williams, the pages with Batwoman out of costume at the dance and the tuxedo and everything. Mm-hmm. Complete style change. Total. Mm-hmm. Like I want to see a comic all in this style. You know, mm-hmm. like it's just amazing to see how he can switch gears so quickly and do it so well. Did you guys get him like all red vibe from some of those? It is very all red. It's 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 amazing. He doesn't have a style, but he does. Right. It's just made up of lots of different kind of styles, which is <laughs> right. unusual, especially in comics. I really liked the whole ball scene. I really, that was my favorite part of the book. The beginning was a little wonky. I didn't really enjoy it as much because it was trying to figure out what was going on, and I don't really love the the monsters aspect of it, but. Mm-hmm. I did love everything else, and I thought it was funny. I thought I caught a little bit of editorial interference in this when when they're going to the ball and there's a bunch of dialogue about what's happening outside of the 
yep. outside of the ball, and then there's a bunch of balloons. Grayson, Mr. Grayson, they're talking about the, the swimsuit model he's with and how he's always bringing a model to the parties. I bet you it was, it was Wayne, Mr. Wayne, before, because that's yeah. not something that was oh, happening Oh, right, right, sure. That's, yeah. Um, yeah, I was but, wondering about that. I was wondering if Dick was going to be a playboy in that way. I don't, I don't know enough if he's going to be. It sounds like he will be then, I guess. Well, I think they just had to change it because it wouldn't yeah. make sense for it to be Wayne. Oh, Mr. I Wayne, see what you're saying. They right. had no other choice but to make it Grayson, Mr. Grayson. And yeah, good point. Or just they, that, he, J.H. Williams has had these pages drawn for a long time, right? Is that that's probably what had had to do with it? I, yeah, I yeah, recall, he, yeah. I think I think we're I think we're catching up quickly on what he's had drawn, but he's been working on this mm-hmm. for the past two years. Um, and yeah, I think this, the, the, he was probably operating off a script that already was, existed. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, with this one, I you know look. Greg Rucker is a fantastic writer, but to me, this book is uh, is ninety six percent about the art. It, it just the, the art is just a tour de force. If if you read comics and and you know you're one of those people who just care about the story and the plot, you know you might, this this book's okay. But if if you're someone that 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 is an art guy, which I certainly am, this is just visually stunning from start to finish, and it's it's an absolute triumph. And so, um, the story's good in and of itself which makes it a real treat but but even if it wasn't this book would be worth buying just to look at the pretty pictures it's it's oh, yeah, just it's, baffling it's, i mean like and we, we interviewed rock at san diego and he said that he thought that well, what did he say exactly he said that jh williams was writing a new chapter in the language of comics or something along those lines i'm paraphrasing mm-hmm. but he's drawing a line in the sand as to right now 2009 comics like his run on this on detective comics is going to be held up as like the you know changing the game when it comes to the art between the layouts and the style changes and everything like that they're just it's just amazing Love it. Well, hopefully people can keep up with it. That's that's the only question. And yeah, and the backup was. I really enjoy the backup. I think the backup's a really strong story. And it was interesting is that people. I wonder if people are going to freak out because eventually they're going to swap. Yep. Mm-hmm. And the question's going to be the lead story. With, then Batman's going to go in the back. Yeah. So I wonder what people's reactions are going to be because people love it when things change. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. I like them both. I think it's. A, I think it's one of the stronger co-feature books out there where, where uh, whereas both stories are really, really compelling. Yeah, I mean, it's probably second to the Doom Patrol Metal Men co-feature. Well, we've only had one issue of that. Yeah, so but that was really, really strong, though. So. Sure, sure. Yeah. It's hard. There's been three of these, and they've all yeah. been good. Understood. Eventually, when all of those come out, and you want to read them all together, you go to InStockTrades.com. They have the 37% off their trades with free shipping on orders over $50. Over 5,400 trade paperbacks are in stock and available for order right now, with new releases listed every Wednesday, and orders that usually ship within 48 hours of your purchase. And that's all available at www.instocktrades.com. Now, Gotham City Sirens. <laughs> um, it was a great cover. It, it was solicited, great cover. Solicited by Paul Dini. If you go to dccomics.com, <laughs> Paul Dini is the writer. Listed there. It's only the third issue in. Paul Dini was the creative mind behind this book. You go to the store and you pick it up and there's Scott Lobdell. What? Really? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> You got lobdelled. I got lobdelled. <laughs> was it any good? It was. It was a very sort of middle of the road Batman story. It didn't even feature the characters from the book. It was just all about the Riddler, <laughs> right? Um, and and did Batman. Dini, did Dini or... write the story at least, or is no, it, no, it was all lobdelled? Jesus. Mm-hmm. Wow. See, now I have nothing against him because I didn't read those X Men books when he came on. I was out of the X Men by that point, so I have no history. All I know is the people who did and don't really like the work. Uh, I've, he's a very interesting conversationalist. <laughs> yes, he is. This is my only history with him. <laughs> but uh, it was just a very, very, very middle of the road. Like, okay, that was a sort of very standard. It was nothing bad about it, nothing good about it. But it was just kind of like you don't buy the book expecting one guy and you get the other guy. Oh, and that, that's e- that's even a rough. That's a rough bait and switch. 
I, mean, I know that's Paul Dini to a Scott Lobdell is two very different right, things. Right. Yeah, disappointed at this when I got that. So, um, so the the sleeper book of the week for those playing at home was uh, Dark X Men: The Beginning, issue number three. This is the last of the little three issue miniseries with little kind of anthology stories about the Dark X Men. And the reason why it was the sleeper book was because you got three stories in it, and not only would the first one was a amazingly well written beautifully drawn Emma Namor story by Paul Cornell and Leonard Kirk, the team behind Captain Britain, who we love, which is just a great journey into Namor's mind, which I thought was really, really good. In the middle, if you weren't paying attention, oh, look at that, Jason Aaron and Jock's first work at Marvel. Mm-hmm. Yep. And if this is any indication of what's to come by Jock working at Marvel, I want more now. What was great about this comic was that I don't, I, re- I got this because of the names involved. I haven't read the first two. I don't know what the hell is going on with the Dark X-Men. I know nothing, but I had no problem, A, following everything, and B, enjoying it. Yep. Just the first two. Yeah. I didn't read it. I didn't read the last Yeah, one, the last but, one's a throwaway. Don't even read it. <laughs> um, like, the first story was all, it, it seemed to me to be all immersed into whatever's happening in the Dark X-Men books, but I followed it perfectly fine. I got what was going on. I thought Paul Cornell did a fantastic job yep. of giving you the information you needed and telling an interesting and funny short story. And then the Jock story with Jason Aaron was a sort of sequel to the Get yep. Mystique arc he did with Ron Garney, and it was great. It was a really good issue. I was really happy that I went out, and I'm, we have to thank Jimsky, yep. our writer, for alerting us, because I didn't even notice the creative team, but he, he sent an email out saying, hey, don't don't miss this book, and I, I got it because of him, and it was mm-hmm. good. Yeah, I really enjoyed this, too. I, I do think that it, it probably was supposed to come out a few weeks ago, um, just because it, the whole premise for those that weren't reading this was uh, uh, three one-shots that basically introduce how Norman Osborn recruits each of the uh, yep. quote-unquote dark X-Men to to join the team. You know, and and with each one, sometimes he's to use coercion, sometimes he used to he has to you know play nice with them, and and it's just it's been little vignette stories about it with some pretty strong creative teams. Uh, in this one, though, uh, I, I do think you guys were right to, to single this one out because I thought it was it was really well done. The look, anytime Jason Aaron really gets these characters, you know his his Get Mystique arc was fantastic, yeah. and I hope we see him do more of this. Obviously, he's writing the Wolverine we- Weapon X book as well now. But I say that it should have come out earlier because this is we sort of get our glimpse here into Mystique joining the Dark X Men, but we didn't really know she was part of the Dark X Men until the last issue or two of Utopia, when it becomes clear that she's actually acting as uh, Professor Xavier yeah. uh, in public. She's pretending to be Xavier to further Norman's agenda. So, But yeah, but but aside from that nitpick, I thought this was really entertaining. And, and as you guys said, anytime you get to see Cornell and Kirk together, now that uh, Captain Britain is, is gone, it, uh, it was good. So yeah, I really enjoyed this as well. There's that, there's this two-page spread I'm looking at right now where it's it's uh, it's before the, the annoying Ultimate Alliance 2 ads, which I'm sick of, by the way. <laughs> um, where it's like a full, a full, almost a full body shot of Mystique and Norman's, you know, grabbing a drink, and then the second page is uh, the the memory of Mystique, you know, facing off against the cops, and she's shooting the guns in the air and, and riding the motorcycle, and it's just like, man, Jock is so good, so yeah. good, yeah. yeah. Oh, so good. Well, and, and the thing is too, I don't know about you guys, but I thought this looked a little. Uh, I actually just read all five trades of the losers in the last month or two. Wow. Um, so I, I have I have Jock mania right now. Yeah. Um, this is a, definitely a bit of a of a departure from that it's still clearly him but it looks like i mean at least to my untrained artistic eye that he's this is a little rougher like it's his pencils that they're it's a heavier it's a heavier line he's using it's definitely a little yeah yeah Yeah. a little less graphic than than the losers or even green arrow year one but but it was beautiful i'm I'm with you if 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 we're gonna if we see jock put this out even you know he's not the fastest artist if we can get you know uh eight issues out of him a a year in this style that would be terrific it'd be great 
All right, well, uh, let's let's speed through the rest of them here. Green Lantern 45, it was all right. Uh, Monkey, you know Monkey's me? art was okay, but I was like, yeah, I would like to see Hal Jordan. Well, he's off doing Blackest Night stuff, so we're getting the side stories. But what made me really think in this book was that Carol Ferris, like there's that whole fraternity of Silver Age heroes of Hal and Barry and Ralph and Ray. They all sort of, you know, hung out together, but they all had the girlfriends or wives. Yep. And Carol was different in that she's also like a superhero or superpowered being in her own right. Yeah. And it just made mm-hmm. me forget, remember that, because it's been a while since I've really dealt with the Star Sapphire thing. And, and she's not just one of the girlfriends, which sounds so demeaning, but that's just what, what they were. Um, she's also a badass hero or a yeah. villain sometimes, but that's what really stood out for this in my mind. People were surprised. I saw an iFanboy that she had hauled off and socked Sinestro, but she's yeah. she's been a, she's been a superpower being for decades. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you just forget that. That's something that I've forgotten, and it was nice to remember. In this issue, also another amazing two-page monkey spread with uh, Agent Orange surrounded by Black Lanterns, including a Black Lantern Guardian, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, these two page spreads that Monkey's doing in, the, in this book are just amazing. Good stuff. All right, Sherlock Holmes number four from Dynamite. I just, this is the fourth issue. This is the st- the series that are being written by Alan Moore's daughter and her boyfriend, this, partner, whatever he is. This is also um, the only non Marvel fiance. Or, now. Mm-hmm. fiance. Yeah. This is only the the only non Marvel or DC book we're talking about today. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've been enjoying this. I think this is good. It's a locked room mystery, you know. Sherlock Holmes is in a room that's locked with a guy, and there's a gunshot, and the guy's dead, and Holmes is holding the smoking gun, and what the hell happens? And we're getting to the point of figuring out what the hell happened, and I've really been enjoying it. It's been a classic Sherlock Holmes story, I think. Right, right. Exactly. I mean, it's it's a, f- a friend of mine is reading this on my recommendation, and he complained that it's really slow. Um, and I just I said to him, well, I, to be fair, I think it's actually classic Sherlock Holmes. You know, Sherlock Holmes is not typically an action-packed. I mean, if you've read, you know, Conan Doyle or, or any of the follow-on stuff. I mean, he well-written Sherlock Holmes is all about the the mental I- intrigue of him, sort of slowly but surely piecing yeah. things together, and then you get the big reveal at the end. And I, obviously, that we're leading to that. But uh, I think the art's really, really well done. It's hyper detailed and and really harkens back to that that period. You you could tell this that Campbell put a lot of time in in understanding the period and, and the attire and the you know the buildings and the architecture. And uh, yeah, I mean, as you said, it's just it's so far so good. It's it's you know what would happen if Sherlock Holmes was framed for a murder that he couldn't prove he didn't do, and, and that's basically what. This, this story is. It just feels like another in a long line of, of, of very intriguing Holmes capers. It's nice. I really like this. Next next issue is going to be some sort of Perry Mason-esque courtroom scene, which will get us to the end of the story. <laughs> cool. So uh, we want to talk about Nova number 28 and Guardians of the Galaxy number 17. War Kings is wrapping up, and it, I just I love these books. I just I want to take them Did home. they always come out the same week? They have been recently, I think. I, I, I Don't quote me on that, but I think so. There were a couple of great moments in each of these issues. In Nova, when Nova faces off with Ballastar to kind of negotiate their leaving the planet. I thought it was it was just it was kind of the moment of maturity for Rich Rider and accepting his role as the leader of the Nova Corps and like knowing how to sum up a situation and basically win. I thought that was really really good. Some uh, some great scripting on Abnett and Landing's part. There was uh, and in Guardians of the Galaxy there were several moments that made me laugh out loud. I am Groot. <laughs> yeah, exactly that whole. So basically, I am uh, Groot and Maximus start plotting how to how to solve the rift in space <laughs> and all. Groot Groot is saying, I am Groot, and Maximus is going, subsonic transmissions, you're right, amazing. And like he's just saying I am Groot, but turns out there's a whole bunch of subtle language underneath I am Groot that only Maximus can hear or whatever. And it was just a genius kind of thing. The only thing that kind of can criticize me, and I feel like Josh in this criticism, is that in both issues there was a pop culture reference. 
at, at one point Nova and Quasar are flying and talking, and Nova's trying to talk, uh, Nova's trying to talk Quasar into staying with them and you know t- you know training new Nova Corps members. And Wendell says, "Thanks, but I'll pass Dumbledore." And I was like, "Really? Would Quasar be making a Harry Potter reference?" <laughs> and then and then at one point in Guardians of the Galaxy, somebody refers to um, Adam Warlock as Gerard Way. I think it was Rocket right, Raccoon. Right. Like, yeah, it's like, yeah, something mm-hmm. happened to, you know, they talked to Gerard Way over there. And I was like, really? Would they be making a My Chemical Romance reference? You know, like, it's, but other than that, it, these are just great. I love these books. And if you're not reading them, you're yeah. missing out on good fun. You, you guys have been giving uh, Abnett and Lanning their, their just desserts seemingly every week that they come out with something. And, yes. and I just, I cheer every time you do because uh, I'm so glad that you guys are all on board with this now and that Josh has come along to the cosmic because, um, I mean, for going on what's about four, like four years now, these guys have, have been just knocking out the park and, and, and it's, you know, it started with the first annihilation, and it's just gone from there. But the, the Groot thing just had me rolling. I mean, it's probably the funniest thing of the week because you know, as as anyone that's that's read the series from the start, Groot is this giant tree who started off as a sapling at the beginning of the book. But he this giant tree, and all he ever does is say, "I am Groot." So you just think he's this big bruiser, and it turns out he's the actual he's the king of this race of of pan dimensional tree creatures. And, and we just don't we're just not smart enough to understand that him, and he's actually a super genius. So it's yeah. just it's just stuff like that that just it's so layered and nuanced. It's just unbelievably funny and to have you know this insane maximus be the one that understands him it's just it was just had me laughing out loud and and you know it wraps up war of kings but then it leads us into a classic cosmic conundrum which is the return of magus which yep. you know long time marvel cosmic know that when magus is around things are not good uh he's he's a pretty much unstoppable you know he's adam warlock's evil version and he's pretty much um you know omnipotent and he's back Great, I mean, I great, great setup for great setup in both books to take us out of War Kings. Now, Guardians of the Galaxy got to deal with Magus. Nova, uh, Nova's got to deal with the rebuilding of the Nova Corps. It's just there, and I just feel as if every month I need to celebrate the fact that now we've got twenty-eight issues of Nova of an ongoing. Like this is the book that they yep. said can't mm-hmm. sustain an ongoing, and it, it is. Right, right, it's true. Cool. So those are the books that we enjoyed this week. Go to ifanboy.com forward slash comics. You can see all the books that came out. You can do your picks and pulls and do your ratings and write reviews. And we want to highlight a couple more books from you, the user community at iFanboy. And our first book is New Avengers, number 56. And uh, Akamu reviewed it. And he gave the story a 2 out of 5 and the art a 1 out of 5. Ouch. And the iFan base made this 1.2% made it their pick of the week at time of recording. And Akamu says, I had to check the minutia to make sure this book wasn't written by Chris Bendis or Brian's cousin Phil Bendis, who makes lovely raspberry tarts but terrible comics. No, this is Brian Michael Bendis. And it's not that just he's phoning it in, it's that he's got a spotty self cell phone reception and is being easily distracted by some better, more interesting story he's working on, probably the new Ultimate Spidey. His usually stellar dialogue seems like he took random movie cliches and some old action scenes from his previous comics and cut and pasted them without looking. Um, some harsh words from Akamu on New Avengers. Ouch. Yeah, I don't know if you guys are reading this, but... Uh, oh, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I, look, it was it, it follows what I thought was a, a pretty strong arc of New Avengers, where we're introduced to the new Sorcerer Supreme, yep. you know, Brother Voodoo, which is kick-ass. It, it's Stuart Immonen art, so I, I didn't think it was strongest Stuart Immonen I've ever seen, but I don't know that I'd ever call Stuart Immonen art uh, a one out of five. I think that's kind of harsh. Yeah, but, no, I think, uh, I think he's... Because he's changing his style, and I think he's working through what that means, but... Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought the whole opening scene with Mockingbird was great. Yeah, yeah. yeah and as the guy sitting in Josh's seat, I felt like I was—I had to bring up that uh, that Bobby uh, yeah. <laughs> Bobby represents in this book as the uh, as the Hardcore. one because they're all depowered in the beginning yeah. of the book, and she obviously doesn't have power, so she tries to go up against the Wrecking Crew, and, and obviously she doesn't stand a chance, but she gives it her all with Cap Shield, and, and that's yeah, a, it was good stuff. And he addressed the fact where she's wondering why Clint was incapacitated as well, because like, he doesn't have any powers, but does he have powers? Right, that's what I was oh, thinking. Oh, he better not. Oh, maybe they're giving him powers. Oh, that's stupid. My thing is, I liked it. I enjoyed it. It was a solid issue. 
I love Imminent, but I'm just ready for them to be off on their own telling stories again. I'm kind of over the whole Norman Osborn thing. That's yeah. just my general Marvel feeling. But, like, you know, I think back on the old New Avengers stuff that was great in the beginning because they were just telling their own stuff and it was fun and exciting. Yeah, and we're still fighting Norman Osborn here a I year think later. getting ready to wrap it up. Yeah. You know, oh, I, I, think, I know they are. They have to be. But just yeah, because they have the list. The list one shots. Yeah, the list is going to so. be the beginning of the downfall. I think. Right. Right. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, next up we have Changing Shades, who reviewed X Force number eighteen and gave a story of four out of five, and the art of five out of five, and zero point six seven percent of the iFan base made their pick of the week. And Changing Shades says, you know, there's only so many times you can play the oh no's everyone is dead card at the end of the issue before I will get burnt out on it. Not that this issue was bad, far from it, but I'm definitely getting. Fatigued with every issue being so and so is now dead, or irrevocably damaged, or whatever. I have no concern that the last few pages of this issue will be handled and dealt with by the end of the next issue. I like the character that they may be resurrecting this issue, as I always felt his death was the start of the end of a quality new mutant stories. The art is def- infinitely better than it has been. It's still a little too cartoony for me, but much more palatable. He really doesn't. But you give any details on this, does he? It's kind no, of it all. Um, it's all about the page, the reveal at the end to X twenty three in this issue for me. There was a oh damn moment. Um, yeah, she dead? No, she's uh, she's no held ki- held prisoner. You see at the bottom of one page, you see her arm, and then you turn the page and you see her hanging by a chain by one arm, and they somebody cut her arm off. Well, Kimura cut her arm yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kimura's her, her longtime handler. I don't know if you guys read the X twenty three miniseries that you know that Kyle and you yep. did. That, that's one of the first things they did with with him, and I thought really made her. You know, at first I hated her as a character. So I was like, great, that's what we need as a female Wolverine. But uh, but I thought the Kyle Yost mini really turned me around on her, and I actually like her as a character. But Kimura, I think we last saw that her in the uh, the new X Men series before um, with the or the Young X Men series when um, you know Kimura was trying to track down X twenty three, and she yeah. was she had a run in. And I think if last if I recall, because I didn't look this up before the show, I think Emma like last we saw she took Kimura and, and brainwashed her and basically wiped her mind clean and told her to go after her old uh, partners at the uh, lab that created X twenty three and kill them all. So obviously yeah. between then and now she's gotten better and is, is back working on the. Uh, you know the side of the bad, so right. I don't know what happened there, but it was it was an oh damn moment, and there was a great also a great scene with Wolverine and Cyclops, a big kind of argument fight, and and normally I don't like Mike Choi's art, but I thought this was really strong. Uh, same here, yeah. same here. I, I, X Force is a real guilty pleasure for me because there's so many characters in it, and both heroes and villains that I just adore, but uh, but I just not crazy about either Crane or Choi's art uh, typically. Yeah. Yeah, it was All good right. though. I enjoyed it. Normally, I, I mean, I'm not a fan of Crane either, so I was glad to see something different, and I found myself enjoying this issue. Yep. Cool. So, um, if you want to uh, write a review, go to ifanboy.com forward slash comics, and maybe we'll feature your review on a future show. And before we get to the emails, I just want to remind everybody about Netflix. Make sure you head over to www.netflix.com forward slash ifanboy, where you can sign up for an account for as little as $4.99 and get a free two week trial. They're this great service where I'm sure you've heard of them. I don't need to explain it. You can rent DVDs online, pick your movies, they send them to you, no shipping, uh, no shipping fees. No late fees. They got fast delivery. I just, you know, I just got two more DVDs in the mail today. I mailed them in two days ago. It's just fast turnarounds. They got Blu-ray titles. If you got the Blu-ray players, you can also do the streaming on your personal laptop or on your Xbox 360, and you can love it. Um, or your Roku box. That's what I do. A Roku box. Yes, indeed. So go to www.netflix.com forward slash iFanboy to sign up today. Watch your weeds like crazy. I got a Stop Making Sense, the Talking Heads live concert. Oh, nice, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Email time. Eric from Oshkosh, Wisconsin says, As I often do, I was looking over the EC horror and sci-fi comics recently. Hands down, the EC comics are my favorite things to read. I think the stories are fun. The art with from Johnny Craig, Phil Fledstein, Wally Wood, and Kurtzman are, for me, way better than anything I've seen from the great American comic artists like Kirby and Ditko. However, reading these classes get me thinking. Frederick Wortham has been demonized as the man who ruined comics. 
for seduction of the innocent and the campaign against comics. Given the lack of popularity that non-superhero comics seem to have today, would most current comic readers still consider Wortham to be such a negative force in the industry on this fair medium? Or is it just people like me who wish they, for more variety in their comics and to have gotten more of the EC books and are bitter about the whole thing? I was curious what you guys thought. I don't really understand what he's asking here. He's asking if people now would consider Wortham as a, a villain. So if Wortham was out now and complaining? No, no. Or? Do people now look back on him as a villain still because everybody seems to only want superhero comics? Oh, yeah. He's an asshole. I, yeah. I, I, I think there's a lot of people don't even know who Wortham is, though. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Wortham stole a generation of comics from us, basically. Right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't. It, it's. I understand why he's asking the question, sort of like a what if. But it, it, at the end of the day, I think you have to. Whenever you're looking about talking about something historical, you have to try and think of the context of the, of the moment. And, and in the moment, he was harmful to the comics industry. Yeah. Whether or not it evolved in a way that that the harm was mitigated is irrelevant to me. I mean, he he intended to, or at least he was driven to do something that I think, whether you think it did have permanent damage, it certainly damaged the industry for a generation. So yeah, I, I'm, I, I don't... So, so people don't know, Frederick Wortham was a psychologist who studied, it was a, what was it? It was, uh, what was the term? Like adolescent... Uh, adolescent misbehavior or, or, or juvenile delinquents and stuff like that. And he found that uh, these kids in the 40s and 50s who were in trouble, they all, they all had a common thread that they all read comics. And that wasn't the only thing that he mentioned, but comics for some reason seemed to be the thing that got pulled out. And so based off that, Congress got involved and there was you know, uh, all this you know, kind of uproar in the 50s. And uh, it basically led to the Comics Code Authority, which, is the one, which was the governing body over comics that de- deemed what could be in comics and what couldn't be. Which, and you know, Marvel and DC didn't jettison the Comics Code until the 2000s. So you had you know, almost 50 years of this kind of you know, governing. But not only that, he, they, yeah. he specifically targeted EC and their yeah. horror and stuff. So that, that, that company right. went under. Drove them out of business, yeah, because under the Comic Code Authority, the Tales from the Crypt and Creepy and all these other books couldn't exist. Yeah, if you guys know from uh, if you listen to our show, I mean, we 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 EC holds a, a a very special place in our heart, particularly my co-host Vince. I mean, that's you know those yeah. are some of the in our, in, you know my opinion greatest comics and some of the greatest art uh, we've ever seen in the medium. I mean, that's a, that's the thing. I mean, like people who people who know comics know the name Kurtzman and Wally Wood. You know, and Feldstein and all that kind of stuff. But, like, I, I don't think, you know, much of the common public don't know those names as well as, you know, Jack Kirby or Stan Lee because of Wortham, you know, which is kind so of unfortunate. And the, yeah. then the, this point that Eric makes is that the, the market, the way it is now, that people, the majority of the people who read comics, read superhero comics, don't yeah. care about anything else, would they even consider them a bad thing? Mm, yeah, probably not. Yeah, I mean, again, I know for the sake of this show, it's it's probably too tangential. But I mean, again, all he did was something. It's he he's not the first or the last to do that. Which is, you know, he took a uh, um, as someone who deals with statistical analysis pretty much every day in, in my you know my my day job, quote unquote. You know, he just cited a, a really obtuse you know statistical correlation. Lots of things in the world are correlated. You know, like we share you know over ninety percent of the same DNA with chickens. You know, so you could say that. <laughs> I mean, but the, so it's just it's one of those statistical things like. He used the idea that that uh, that kids that were getting in trouble read comics. Well, at the time, there weren't many adolescent men in the boys in the country that didn't read comics. They were yeah, one of the right. most. It would Some be like it would be like people of- blaming right. It would be like people blaming crystal meth addiction in this country now on Google or no or, or, on, every- or on Grand Theft Auto. Or rock and roll. Well, yeah, that's true. Or even, but even like YouTube, something like something that's so ubiquitous that I mean, comics were as ubiquitous today as as, then as YouTube is now. I mean, just you know, everybody read some kind of comic book. So it's just it was a really misplaced. You know, he put the focus on a completely misplaced area. So yeah. 
crazy. I, I find the whole thing fascinating. If you have, if you don't know about Frederick Wortham's Seduction of the Innocent, go read it on Wikipedia or go look it up because it is a fascinating story. But um, but yeah, no, it's not good. All right, so if you have any questions about comics or comics history, you can email us at contact at ifanboy.com. And uh, we're going to skip the voicemails this week because we uh, spent a long time talking about a lot of books because it was a fat week, which is good. So, But call in and leave us a voicemail if you want at one eight 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 fanboys That's one eight 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 three two six two six nine seven. And we have a couple things to highlight. First is we're, we're doing the Thirst poster giveaway, which we've been doing for a month now, and, and this is the last week for it. In fact, depending on when you're listening to it, this show, it could be over. You got until the last day of August to become an iFanboy member to be eligible to win the grand prize, which is a signed movie poster of Thirst by the director Park Chan-Walk. And you also get the official movie soundtrack, and that's going to be one grand prize winner. And there's going to be three runner-up winners who are going to win the soundtrack CD. So you've got until the last day of August to become a member to become eligible. All members are eligible. You don't have to do anything special. Just be a member. And we're going to announce that, not on the next show because it's a live show and it's going to be crazy, but on the episode 201, we're going to announce the winners for that. So, Jason, uh, you are a podcaster on 11 O'Clock Comics. Where can people find your show? Well, first let me say, uh, for those that aren't familiar with my show, we are the antithesis of Josh, Ron, and Connor, who are clearly (laughs) professionals and very organized and and put a lot of thought and time into their show. So, so, um, yeah, but in all seriousness, I mean, we're a very off-the-cuff show. It's uh, it's four of us. It's, It's myself. Jason Wood. It's uh, Vince B. and David Price, who some may know from, uh, they used to have a Marvel podcast called Bullpen Bulletins. And then Chris Neesman, who you guys know well, is, the, uh, is, is one of the founders and co-hosts of, of Around Comics, who you guys were giving some Twitter shit to tonight, because they are actually <laughs> recording their 250th episode tonight. Yes, that's so, and a tip of, the hat, tip of the hat to them for 250. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So the four of us basically get together every uh, Wednesday night at 11 o'clock, hence the name. Uh, we have some drinks, and we talk about uh, whatever we feel like. There's no script. We shoot the shit for about two hours hours until Vince cuts us off and, and edits it together and it's it's us talking comics and, and, and quite a few crazy voicemails, some weird intro and outro music and, and it's uh, shockingly uh, been well received I I would I would have been happy if, if, if four people listened to us but it seems like uh, we've, we've built quite a nice audience so it's a lot of fun Yeah, no, it's, 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 I, I do listen, I listen to it while I run on the weekends and it's a bit long for my taste but I hang in there <laughs> it's, it's freewheeling yeah, exactly. it is, it is very freewheeling <laughs> and, uh, and, and I guess I should say where we could find us See, I'm, yeah. I'm so unprofessional even give our uh it's you can of course itunes is, is the place to go to subscribe yep. uh, it's 11 o'clock comics but you can find us on our website is is bullpen bulletins podcast it's lengthy.com or 11 o'clock comics.com either url will get you there so and, and we'll throw a link up on the show notes for the show so if you go to cool. ifanboy.com go to the show notes we'll you can find a link there um, much love cool yeah and thank you for joining us jason stepping in for uh, josh we appreciate it um huge shoes to fill but uh Fishing yeah. sea urchins. They're, they're not, yeah, he's fishing for sea urchins. They're not that big shoes to fill. Would so he's just, a small man. Yeah, he's, he is. He's a slight man. That's true. <laughs> I, but, uh, uh, conceptually, big shoes to fill. I'm gonna hear about that later. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, if you do, if you can't get enough podcasts, in addition to this podcast and Eleven O'clock Comics, you can. Uh, and if you like kind of pop culture things, check out our sister podcast, Murmur. Where last episode, both me and Josh and Connor, which is actually our first show all together on a Murmur podcast, we talked about Mad Men and District Nine, which I missed out on, and I. I saw the movie after the recording and it was awesome and we also did a kind of a preview of all the upcoming fall movies so you definitely want to go to murmur.com check that out and episode number seven is going to be out this week and we're going to have some cool technology talk on that one so you're going to want to check that out so look for it on murmur.com around this tuesday or you can search on itunes for that too yeah exactly well. yep. and this is episode 199 which means next week is episode 200 and we're doing the episode 200 live show that's friday september 14th at jim hamley's universe which is 33rd street just off of fifth avenue right across the street from the empire state building We'll be there. The show starts at 7. You'll probably want to get there a little early. There'll be some seats. But if anything like the 100th episode, there was 
way more people than seats. So if you want to make sure you can sit for the hour, make sure you get there early enough. And after the show, we're going to go for drinks at Legends, which is the bar right next door to Jim Hanley's. And we'll be there all night. And if you come to the show, there's going to be a ton of giveaways. Yep. So if you like free stuff, that's cool. <laughs> come to the show because we have a stack of stuff to give away. It's going to be fun. So let me get straight. If you live in the New York City area, you yep. like comics, you like iFanboy, you like getting stuff for free, and you like to yep. drink – you should come out with us. That's the, that's the story. So that's the story. Uh, so come come no to Jim Hanley's universe. You got no excuse. <laughs> None <Nice>. whatsoever. <laughs> By the way, it's September fourth. You said fourteenth. Uh, September fourth. Yes. Fourth. Yes. Yeah, fourth. Thank you. I don't want people sh- stiffing you and, and showing up on the fourteenth and Hanley's being like, "Where the I think that's funny." <laughs> that would be great. Are you going to make it out, Jason? <laughs> I'm going to certainly try. Awesome. Um, We'd love to yeah, have you. I, so. it's, do you like great. free things? <laughs> I like drinks. Yes, you do. Oh, that's- that's fine, too. I also have those as well. Nice. Cool. So, and those giveaways are open to anyone um, who yeah. attends the show. But if you do like giveaways and on an ongoing basis you want to be eligible to win things, you should become an iFanboy member. Go to iFanboy.com forward slash store. That's where you can sign up. We got a couple of different tiers where you can sign up as. You can sign up for $4 a month, which is the price of one shitty comic book. Or you can pay 42 bucks a year at that rate. And we will send you uh, pins and stickers and we'll replace that comic book with a free comic book from our personal collections. And if you got a little more money to spend for 10 bucks a month or 100 bucks a year, you get all that cool stuff plus an iFanboy members t-shirt, which you can wear to cons and show your love for the iFanboy nation. And in addition, all members are eligible for giveaways. We gave away some signed Blackest Night number ones. We gave away a page of Mike Allred art. And we're telling you now, September is going to be the month for giveaways. We have got boxes of stuff to give away to you that we've been accumulating over the summer. A lot of great trade paperbacks, a lot of good hardcovers. Definitely, you're going to want to be a member. So go to iFanboy.com forward slash store, sign up today. And we thank you to everyone who signed up so far you can check out a fanboy.com and that's where you can read my pick of the week review of batman and robin number three you can read all the great writers we've got there daily content all kinds of fun stuff comics page where you can make your pull list all the great things that are happening there's a discussion about every book that comes out every week so go to fanboy.com that's where you can find all of our social networking links all of the information about us how to become our friends online that's at fanboy.com slash about basically fanboy.com is the place to go yes for all the people that like cool stuff and like to drink and, and if you want to follow us on Twitter, go to twitter.com forward slash iFanboy where you can see us ridicule around comics on a weekly basis. Um, <laughs> it's, not, it's almost too easy. It's and almost, almost too I feel easy. kind of yeah. bad because it's like picking on the, the slow. Hey, now beers. we're like the bastard stepchild of around comics, so I don't know what that says about us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, excellent. When you're all set, iFanboy, go to iFanboy.com forward slash store where you can sign up for the membership as well as you can uh, still get your hands on a Power and Responsibility t-shirt for 15 bucks. Nothing to do with Spider-Man. And for those of you who missed out on our Herm shirt, you can pre-order your Herm shirt. Uh, we're going to do another print run of it. It's going to be a smaller print run. It's going to be limited, so make sure you get your orders in quickly. Go do it now. Yeah, we're pre-ordering for about a month, and then we're yes. going to order the shirts. So, yep. so get in there. Don't miss it again. While you're there, iFanboy.com slash Amazon. That's where you can go to the iFanboy Amazon store, which basically just the link takes you to Amazon itself, and it helps us out. You don't spend an extra dime or dollar or anything. And just if you're going to shop at Amazon normally, help us out by going to iFanboy.com slash Amazon. We really appreciate that. And if you're not aware of the fact that we do a video show as well, um, and this past Wednesday we had our interview with Darwin Cook from San Diego, which, which was uh, – I, I did the interview. It was a great time. Darwin's an awesome creator. He – very early on in the interview, he makes me look like a fool. So, um, so <laughs> The memory worth... of that interview hurt me. Yeah, exactly. Just watching it again. Listen, at 9 a.m. With, with it wasn't co- even 9. It was 8.48. 8.48. Hungover. <laughs> done a couple of shots already that morning. <laughs> it's, 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 it was a tough situation. But Darwin is awesome. And if you're interested in the future of comics and digital comics, you're going to want to watch that interview to see what one of the industry greats have to say about it. So you can That's go right. find that at, at revision3.com forward slash iFanboy or on TiVo or on YouTube or wherever you watch video as well as iFanboy.com. 
You don't want to miss the cameo by Jimmy Palmiotti. Exactly. You can email us at contact at ifanboy.com. You can call us 888-FANBOYS to 326-2697. Any questions, comments, concerns, discussion topics, marriage proposals, debt collection? No, whatever. no, no. <laughs> Oh, Somebody that, called my house looking for James Kilpatrick because they owed <laughs> money to some collection agency. You know, I've never even met anyone named James Kilpatrick. It's not me. And finally, if you dig us, go, uh, to, go to iTunes, write a review. Um, if you like 11 o'clock comics, write a review about them, write a review about around comics, or any podcast you listen to, let people know. Or better yet, get the word out about iFanboy. Tell your friends, tell your comic book store, tell your mom, tell your girlfriend, tell anybody who will listen. We appreciate your, your support and help. And we I told the collection guy about it. He didn't know what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> so excellent all right well uh wood thanks for stopping by we appreciate it again gentlemen it was a pleasure i appreciate it hopefully i'll see you next uh next week to do some celebrating yeah it'll be definitely good and i or, know I'm we, sorry this week this week yeah sorry. the time shift there my yeah, bad yeah yeah so and, sorry we couldn't go on for another hour and a half you know i, I didn't uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's all right i i know i got i got like an hour and a half to, to go figure out what i'm gonna do with myself now <laughs> i don't know how you guys do that at 11 o'clock on a weeknight i'd be dying i'm dying we do this on the weekends and i'm dying so it's <laughs> well, since you're taking us behind, since you took me behind the curtain, I'll, I'll let you know we actually record at nine o'clock Eastern. Oh, you're kidding me! Uh, boo. We used to record at eleven, but one of us had a change in his job where he had to get up earlier, so we pushed it back to uh, okay. to nine Eastern, eight Central. But we already had the URL in the in the brand name, so we figured we'd stay <laughs> with the eleven o'clock because it would be silly to change it to nine o'clock and That's have to explain. Fine. It, That's so. okay. That's a little, it, it, all the little secrets that iFanboy has. You'd be surprised. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Connor doesn't even exist. It's an AI program I wrote. I was going to say yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hello. <laughs> Gordon the intern secretly writes every script. Gordon the intern writes every script. Exactly, it's all Gordon. He's just pulling the he's pulling the levers and everything. Who, by the way, is a crazy fucker. Uh, I mean, the, getting a tattoo like that and then having Darwin sign his pelvis is that's hardcore. It, it, so the, the tattoo is beautiful, and I love Darwin's reaction to it, where he's like, "You fucking kids." Excellent. All right. So until next week, I'm Ron. I'm Connor, and I'm Luke. He's not coming back next week. He'll be around. He might be there. Can you see? <laughs> 